Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, and I am the master chef, cooking you up something succulent and divine. It's your boy, Zaheer, and we are serving hot talk and cool iced tea. And I'm Mia Mix, here to set the tone and make sure the mood is right. So come on in and get comfortable. Pull up a chair, have a seat. You can even take your shoes off. Wait, not if your feet is down. <laughs> oh, hell no. Welcome, Welcome to Marsha's Plate. The time has come for you to be the change you want them to be, yeah. No more running around filled with all hypocrisy, yeah. It starts from the inside, it spreads wide, and everything will be alright. Join the conversation. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to hear what you guys have to say. You can also help us build community by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. By contributing to this podcast, you help us continue our powerful work to change culture one episode at a time. So let's get started. Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond, and I am so excited about this show because I have been wanting this person on the show since I met them and it's uh, I mean this is somebody who there's certain people who I feel like they every, you know everybody is calling everybody brilliant but I think that this person is brilliant just the way they talk just the way they think about things the way they bridge the gap from your grandma's porch to academia. They immediately bridge that gap for me when they talk, how they speak, who they center. And those are the type of motherfuckers that I like in my life, that I like to listen to, that I like to hear. So I want to introduce y'all to Brandrian Morris. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Marcia's Play. I'm so glad there was no like bio or send me this official. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know you don't like bios, so um, I don't either because it gives me more time to talk. Let you let them hear you talk your shit, your ignorant shit. <laughs> My first thing was like I could cuss, right? Exactly. You got. You know we gotta cuss. <laughs> thank you. Oh, guys, so I want to welcome you to Marsha's Play. I mean, I wanted to start with... But wait, why you named it that? Why is it named Marsha's Play? Why is it named Marsha's Play? So, of course, it's named after the iconic pioneer, Marsha P. Johnson. P. Johnson, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, when I was brainstorming the podcast to come um, to fruition, it was mm-hmm. it was around the hype of Solange's album, um, A Seat at the Table. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, we want a seat at the table too. Well, trans folks want a seat at the table. Um, queer folks want a seat at the table. Black women want a seat. Everybody want a seat at the table. So I was like, well, okay. You know, around that theme of sitting at the table and feast and cookouts. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to say Marcia's plate. Mm-hmm. Like a plate of food. So 
my idea is to serve up what I didn't see. I didn't see um, trans folks being centered in, in political conversation and cultural conversations. And so I wanted, um, outside of bathroom bills and shit like that, I wanted, yes. it, to be, <laughs> I wanted it to be a more authentic and um, down home kind of conversation where we talked about things outside of that because you know, yeah. that's annoying. So March's play yeah. was perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you call yourself the ignorant intellectual. Can you explain ignorant intellectual? Yeah. Um, it's funny because it came back. It's kind of like the universe brought it back. So I had, at first, I don't, I'm not good with what years things happen, but maybe, let's say 10 years ago, it used to be the ignorant intellectual colon, the bridge between the hood and the ivory tower. Ah, so I was right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have all of the length, the, I'm a person I go by, I, I could feel stuff, but I didn't have all of the language. And speaking of the academy, it like forces you, some of the mandates of the academy is if it is not written, concise, and put into words, it is not valid. And part of the reason I- Or, or not connected to white men's work. Okay, okay, because I have, that's partially why I dropped out of my PhD program, because of that, what you just said. But ignorant don't mean ignorant, meaning like you don't know something. It's just, you could, you have a, you know, you, you have said things, and I'd be like, that I'm an ignorant as hell. But it is masterful. It is not without knowing. It's just to me, you you know what? We you live in Houston. I'm from the South. You from you from Texas? No, I'm from Indianapolis, but all my folks is from Mississippi. I was raised by Southern Mississippi okay. country ass folks, Louisiana too. So you already know if you want to talk about something, your family members can astutely talk about it. It just is gonna be a multi-long ass conversation. It it is not about to be short and concise, but they're not ignorant. And to me, it takes somebody who can make it comedic, intellectual, factual, all of these things at the same time that to be very transparent, white folk can't always do like it's ignorant, but it's intellectual. But I, I, and I also hesitated calling anything the ignorant intellectual because i didn't need i didn't want people to feel like i was making a binary that the intellectual is not inside of ignorance or it's not inside of the hood or it's not inside of these things i because people be quick to either or instead of both and so i did hesitate for a little while but ignorant intellectualism if i just say the ignorant intellectual is somebody who can break shit down without worry about what white people thinking about it they kind of unapologetic about it that's one way of saying it. But if I was describing the ignorant intellectual to a client, because they ask the same questions, I would be like, it is when whiteness is not at the epicenter. It is when whiteness is not centered. It is when we are doing work for communities and we are not prioritizing whitewashed ways of doing that work. Mm. Um, and so part of it is, it is really like, doing living life in a way that's just authentic to who the hell we are the ignorant intellectual is brilliant yet accessible mm. smart yet 
commonplace. Like you could say the same thing three different three different ways. Like I could talk to my mama about hegemony. Patricia understands um, decentering whiteness, but she is never going to use them type of words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and a conversation with her is going to be long. It's going to be longer than like a five minute conversation. Right. I that's and I'm southern, so that's the long winded way of answering your question. Ignorant intellectual is like, you know how Toni Morrison writes outside of the white gaze. Like she is known for decent interviews. Be these white women being like, well, what about the white people? And Toni Morrison is like, what? Fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> You don't understand how racist that is, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and then a white lady, she was she was so confused. She was like, "Even your question, even well, I forgot how she worded Even your even the mere asking is racist." That white lady was confused as hell. <laughs> she didn't say exactly the mere question, but she said something about even the interrogation is racist. Right. Because you can't fathom being outside of the center. That's literally what she said. You can't fathom being outside of the center. I have to write about y'all motherfuckers. Right? <laughs> I, in yeah. your mind, I have to write, come write about y'all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> yes. And I just really enjoy... So, you know, they're having these jokes like, where are we going to go now that COVID or whatever? Um, everybody talk about Ghana or whatever. So... I don't know, this is not a realistic thing, but I was talking to one group of friends, straight black, my two straight black women friends, and one of them was saying she was going to Ghana. And I said, well, Leslie, you know, they don't really like the gays, so I'm gonna just have to visit you. And she said, oh shit, like that's my heterosexual privilege. Like I get to travel without considering whether a country, you know, cares about my sexuality. So then I'm talking to my friend who is a lot like me in gender expression. And he's like, I'm going back to Korea because he served in, in the army, a trans man served in the army in Korea. And I was like, but Korea, we're the black people in Korea. <laughs> but for him, Korea was more accepting of his gender identity. Like him and his wife never got, nothing happened to them, holding hands or nothing. And so I'm left with this, do I choose Korea? Because they okay with my gender expression. Or do I fucking go to Ghana where it's all the blacks, but they might, you know, fuck me up for being queer? Where, where do I go? A, that's intersectionality in action. But it's also like I realized I would go to Ghana first. Mm. And my other friend, my friend will go to Korea because gender leads for him. And for me, race leads in a way that's just. I think I understand black homophobia and transphobia a little more than I understand Korean anti-blackness. Mm. Why? Like my, 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 I'm more fluent. I mean, I'm from a black city. I went to an HBCU and I think I can navigate. Now the difference is that that is not black American homophobia. That would be continental African homophobia. So that's another cultural group of cultural differences. But I just feel like I would be constantly looking for the black people in Korea in ways I might not be looking for the non-binary people in Ghana. And I know I just created a binary just to give that example, but they say you you know certain devils more than the other ones. I just think I'm probably more fluent in black homophobia, 
transphobia and how to navigate that. I can say that's yeah. that, I totally agree. I'd much rather be in Ghana and deal with the homophobia in with those black folks there than to deal with the anti-blackness in like I feel like I wouldn't I, I can't even I have the visual. I can't even have the beauty of the visual. No, yeah. no I can't even no I could, I wouldn't even consider. Yeah. <laughs> and I would think that well this might be a stretch but I wonder where whiteness is most decentered. Is it in African countries or is it in East Asian countries? And I think that might be a subconscious question I'm asking myself. Um, but I just think I'm more versed in blackness being centered and having to navigate the other identities than I am in having gender being centered and navigating potentially race and I. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. basic (laughs) for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. let's talk about New Orleans. In our culture today, we would say, particularly Black folks, would say that Atlanta is the Black queer Mecca, right? Because in our culture right now, that seems to be where a lot of queer folks migrate to, congregate at, you know, because they know it's just a big population of the queer community there. There are other cities that also have a history of queer folks migrating there because the romanticized acceptance that they can find communities in these particular cities. Historically, it's been New York because of the Harlem Renaissance and how black queer people navigated that space and attracted people from all over the country just to come there and be a part of that queer culture. Another place that is historically known to be a queer Mecca, not necessarily black, but definitely a lot of black folks went there. San Francisco was definitely a place where the history shows us that a lot of gay people traveled and migrated to San Francisco in the hopes of just a new life with a community of your own people. In the same way people travel to like LA to become an actor (laughs) and find artistic people like that. And same thing with New York. Um, There's a places particularly that queer folks migrate to because it is a part of the culture. There is a legacy of queer culture. And New Orleans is one of those places throughout U.S. history, ever since it's been a part of the U.S., that has been one of those places that are gay, queer meccas for people to come to and find community. 
Now, in this conversation between me and Zorandrian, the context of queer in our conversation is more about being different, not necessarily limited to sexuality and gender identity. New Orleans is queer in the way of being different and unique, almost around all aspects. For example, let's talk about race. Most of the country, when we talk about race, if you think about race as a caste system, when slavery and all that kind of stuff was going on, the caste system was whiteness was superior and blackness or anything else was second class, the lower caste. In New Orleans, because of the history of who owned New Orleans or who owned Louisiana, owned by the Spanish, owned by the French, then back to the Spanish, and then with the Louisiana Purchase, got got into the United States. So with all of that culture being mixed and it being a port for um, imports and goods and all that kind of stuff from the Caribbean and all across the world. It was a port. There's so many cultures that were mixed and intertwined. You can tell by how the city looked. You can tell by the people who came there. Um, but also within race, because it was such a mixed of people, there was not a two-caste system. In New Orleans, a lot of times there was a three-caste system. We usually saw this in the Caribbean. It's all over Caribbean culture, the three caste system. But on the U.S. mainland, we didn't see this a lot of places, particularly outside of New Orleans. New Orleans was a place that also adopted the three caste society system. In other parts of the United States, it doesn't really matter if you are a free black or an enslaved black. We're treating you the same exact way. <laughs> there was no nuances in the actual system. And I'm talking about officially, like the laws. In a three caste system, there's actual laws on the books of how you should treat people who are in that second class. Now, in other parts of the country, unofficially, yeah, I might prefer the lighter skin one and I might treat them in a certain different kind of way, informally or unofficially. But on the books, I'm supposed to treat them like any other black person. Once they have the one drop rule, they have black in them, you treat them like any other black person. Now, of course, like I said, unofficially is different. But in New Orleans or a three class system, there's actual rules on the books of how you're supposed to treat like Creole people, how you're supposed to treat mixed biracial people, triracial people, multiracial people multiracial people it's actually laws on the books of how they are supposed to navigate in society and how you are supposed to treat them and what they're supposed to do instead of it being unofficial like in the other parts make sense and the same thing happened with queerness and sexuality that's why when you talk about music in louisiana queer artists have been in Louisiana thriving and building an audience for decades. When we talk about Big Frida, Big Frida is not coming 
just oh my god because trans and queerness is so popular now no there were people before her continuing she is a continuation of a legacy of musicians and um bounce um artists who have been embraced by the culture of louisiana that has roots far 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 back because think about it one of the oldest longest running gay bars in America, Cafe Lafitte in Exile, is in New Orleans. It is open 24 hours and it is a part of um, the area of Bourbon Street called the Fruit Loop, which is known as like it has a circuit of gay bars concentrated on an intersection in Bourbon and St. Anne's. I think that's the name of the street. St. Anne's. And it's this whole area of gay bars. And this bar still exists. And it's been open since 1933 and ain't closed down. The first writing in New Orleans that referenced homosexuality was 1724. Um, there was a sodomy law put on the books in 1805 so if it was 1805 you know <laughs> if they put in making laws for you stop poking people in the booty hole then you know that folks was there so i wanted to share that because new orleans just has that history and it has that history of being queer and no this doesn't mean that it was accepting there was no transphobia there was no homophobia absolutely fucking not because actually one of the largest mass killings of lgbt people was done in 1973 where a fire started by arson killed 32 men and women who congregated in a gay bar called upstairs lounge which is now called the jiminy which still exists it was the largest LGBT mass killing until 2016's mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub. So we know that things, homophobia and transphobia still exist in the city, but there was a level of normalcy with them being part of the fabric of the culture of the city that we didn't see in other cities until decades later. So, I wanted to talk about New Orleans queerness. I hope you look into the history of the city so that you can see how some of our great trans icons of today, this is what they are bred from. When we think about Amaya Scott, she's from Louisiana. When you think about Mariah Moore, she's from Louisiana. She's been on the show. There's just so many trans and gender non-conforming icons that have come out of New Orleans. Look into that history. So, this is Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. 
<laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sir McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So as we, we go into the gender, I know this is something that... Um, you know, a lot of people want to talk to you about because you have so much nuance around it. So let's talk about your gender. You consider yourself a gender. That is that is the label that you like. That's my favorite thing. That's your favorite That's one. So you know, and there's other ones that you a gender is yes, your favorite. But the, there's you know non-binary. You cool with that? Um, mm-hmm. Trans masculine. You cool with mm-hmm. that? Um, you're okay with girl, mm-hmm. but you're not okay with woman. Mm-hmm. Um, because you feel like you didn't evolve in that. So explain all of that to me. I know about it because I know your ass. So you did, okay, let me let me think. I'm going to go from the last one you said because that's the one I remember. I am okay with girl for the very reason that you said. It's because, and this is literally, the, on, the best way to describe it, like I told you, it's time. It's literally I, for example, have no clue. Well, I'm learning it now as an adult, but I have no like cemented, grew up in it, aged in it over time idea of what it's like to be neither boy nor man. I have no, I, I have had manhood thrust on me. So I cannot say what it's like to be a boy. And when I use boy and man, I'm simply talking about age, young, older. I'm not necessarily complicating it that much. So now that I'm walking through the world and people sometimes think I'm a man, it helps me see that this, uh, the ways in which masculinity in certain ways work actually is really tight. And it, it's, it's a lot. Girl, I... And I, and I want to always offer that I am bound by the fact that I'm talking to you in words. I'm talking to you in English. I'm searching for words and concepts that don't necessarily exist in English, et cetera. So even in me trying to convey, sometimes we talked about this when we was eating uh, seafood. Sometimes when you try to articulate things in word, it dilutes it immediately. Immediately. The moment I have to, con- to put something into words or language, that thing is, is made flat. And so sometimes when I try to talk about gender, I feel like immediately if I'm trying to talk to you, I feel like like we was when we was eating, we did more grunts and mm, mm, because and we got that more that connection through sound more than we did when we was trying to use words. Right. Like you was like, yeah, because mm, and I was like, yes, uh, um, which is. And I had this uh, person who speaks Spanish was like, well, sometimes when you are forced into a colonized language, that's what happens with colonial languages. It flattens every fucking thing. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is so true. So girl versus woman. I never aged into a woman identity, which people are surprised. I went to all girl high school. I went to a all girl HBCU. All woman's college. Spellman. Spelman College. You're a Spelman Knight, but you're not a Spelman woman. Yes. And I'm a proud ass Spelmanite. Like, 
And people be like, well, what, 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 what would you have done if, I'm, if, if, if I had had this gender identity when I was 17, I might not have gone to Spelman College is one thing. Easy answer. I don't know. I, you know, I think that there, we have, we agree in this. There is beauty in specified spaces. There is magic in this space is for this group, et cetera. And so I think as a girl, I never felt um, those signals you get of gender disruption as a girl. Like I, I, I felt gender expression disruption because I probably didn't want to put on dresses, but I didn't feel my gender identity was doing anything that wasn't girl. Like I was a girl. I just was a girl that didn't always want to wear dresses. I was a girl that roughhoused. I was a girl that was a tomboy. I used to run and rip and run and climb the trees, but I wasn't, my gender identity was solidly a girl. So gender identity and gender expression ain't the same. So my gender expression has never been overtly uber femme, ever. My gender identity, and so like many people, I evolved through sexuality. I realized I like girls. I never identified as a lesbian. And then I think around, I was good and grown, when I say good and grown in my 20s, when I realized my gender identity wasn't woman. That word never felt like it landed and draped over me in a way that was, a, that was what I, you know, it didn't make me warm and fuzzy. So before you go into the gender identity, I want to, I want to, how did you not get to lesbian if you identified as a girl and liked girls? How did you not make that connection? I don't know if I, I don't know. I never use that word to describe myself. I said, I like girls. Even when I told my mama, I said, I like girls. I didn't say I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and it's funny because my mama is not one that calls me her daughter ever a lot. She has always referred to me as my child. And I'm not saying that to make people think Patricia is affirming in any way. <laughs> I want to be clear. My mama is a 73-year-old Southern boomer. And sometimes what could be misconstrued as affirmation is more like um, adherence to... So, for example, I took my mom, I think it was for her 60th birthday, to see Color Purple on the, the muse the, at, at the Fox. And, you know, the book is much more detailed than the movie. And the play is much more like the books. So Patricia, of course, knows the color purple, like the back of her hand. So Seely, um, Shug kisses Seely. The lady in front of us squirms a bit. My, you know, she's like, mm. no, the lady behind us, she, you can hear her grunting behind us. Uh, Shug kisses Seely the second time. The lady's like, oh, my. The third kiss, which is the final kiss, she was like, she turns to whoever and was like, what have you brought me to? This is where it is not my mother supporting me. It is adherence to Alice Walker's body of work. She turns around and tells the woman, clearly you haven't read the book. <laughs> Come on, Patricia! <laughs> Come on, Patricia. Patricia was not supporting two women kissing. Don't be clear. She was supporting Alice Walker that showed you 50 times what's going to happen on the stage, lady. 
And I say that because I don't think my mother calling me her child is overtly in her mind supportive of my gender expression. It might be the universe give, uh, giving language to something that maybe she, she doesn't overtly talk about, but she had, even as a girl, my mama never, and I'm from a city that is so queer. We're going to get into that. Now we get into that. We're going to get into that. Okay. I'm going to go back to girl. So I just never, I just never, I don't know why I never said I was a lesbian and maybe, and I think that time, so we speak of time, like this linear thing. I think time lags, time gets ahead. Like it is, uh, I remember when I was, I was in Italy and I typed, it's the same moment, but the U S hasn't started its day and Italy is ending the same day that the U S has not started the same, like it was a Tuesday. And I think that maybe our spirits are sometimes ahead of our physical. And so maybe I, I, I knew I wasn't a lesbian, although in here, in that moment, I never knew I was not a, a woman. I didn't have that. I didn't know that yet. Mm. But I think my spirit knew don't attach to lesbian because that's not you because you need a woman and a woman and you're not a woman. Mm. I just think that sometimes the universe and God is not moving in linear time like we are. Okay. And I just never connected to lesbian. I would say I like girls or I like women, but I think entering my, because that speaks to who I like. But if I would have said I'm a lesbian, that then inserts an identity yeah. okay. that I didn't I didn't have. <laughs> so, okay. So now let's go into gender identity. So after you, after you, after you got to the point where, okay, now this identity thing is coming up where it's, it, I don't feel as um, locked to growing into womanhood as somebody yeah. else might be. How did you get yeah. to the point where you were like, okay, well maybe this trans thing is a thing. Yeah. And notice I don't identify as a trans man. I identify as trans masculine. Right. Yes. And I don't even know if trans masculine is. So to me, trans man is a noun, but to me, trans masculine is still an adjective describing a person. Right. And so even in 2020 on this call, I have never identified as a trans man noun. I am a trans masculine person, adjective. And so I don't know if I ever got locked into my identities as a noun. Mm -hmm. They've always been adjectives that described my being. Even agender, I'm an agender person or a person that like is without, you know, Key Dorian? Sounds familiar. He was the very first person to help me see that, Z, you don't have to, A, you don't have to identify in these popular terms. You don't have to, you know. And it, it was a liberatory, very quick, it wasn't like a deep conversation, but it was very liberating in a sense that it's like, I just, a gender feels like a, a warm blanket because it is without. Like, I literally don't feel like I have a gender whatsoever. 
I don't. Right. And I know some very, you know, kind of conservative trans folk who are like, not only am I a trans man, I'm like, man, trans man. And I'm like, I don't know that life. You know, I love you and I think you're amazing, but I, I don't know that life. So what led you, I know you said you took hormones for like three years. Mm-hmm. So what led you to that and then stopping? I think I was on that uh, kind of uh, non-spoken enforced timeline thing. You have the, first you probably are a stud. Then you probably start binding. Then you probably want to play with your name a little bit. Then eventually you might get on T and then you might get top surgery. And I think I was, you know, because the first thing I was asked when I was identifying as transmasculine is, well, when you having top surgery? And I'll be like, well, no, nah, I'm not. I've been called a fake tranny. I've been called so many things. Yes. Yeah. I so I remember I was living in Philly when I was on T because I was going to uh, the Mazzoni Center to get my moans. Well, to get, I was going to the Walgreens, the Mazzoni Center Walgreens. And I think I got on it because I felt like that's what trans people do. I don't, it's not, it's not always deep. I really thought that that's, that was the next step. And if I could, literally, if I could do it, literally, literally. go to like um, websites that say, like I remember back in the day before, now the young folks got all, all the resources to know what to do. But when, when I was growing up in the in 95, 90, um, 96, 97, what we on the internet was this site called TS Roadmap <laughs> and exactly wow. called TS Roadmap and it's old school I think it's still up or, or whatever but they literally showed you they had links to how to print out your name change stuff it was literally a roadmap of what they this is if you want to do this this is what you do how to get on moms how to do this how to what the doctors said it literally a roadmap to that and so yeah. If you were, um, if you didn't know, and you identify, you said, okay, I know what trans is, and I identify with trans. This is literally informing you that this is the path that you go on, even if eh, I'm not, may not even be comfortable yep. with this stuff yet. But it's telling you this is what's next, and then your community is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. Oh yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. do this. It doesn't even give you room. You don't yep. think to do other things. That's what you're mm-hmm. reminding me of. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was my roadmap. Mm. I, if I could do it over Pete, I would probably not allow people to call me Z. Mm. I think Z came about. I know people where they know me from based on if they call me, if they, you know, my age. My family, my old friends, they don't call me Z, they call me Shoni. Yeah, I can tell. Some, okay. kind of way, some kind of way people saw Zarandrian, they saw a lot of letters, they was like, fuck it, I ain't gonna even try Z. But I also think Z came about with this D and Key and Z and K- and Kaylin and the changing of the, the, the chopping and the merging of names. And I remember before getting on T or before uh, trans identity, I commanded people call me Zarandrian. If you was gonna not call me Shoney. And I think that's something about 
Z, which I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm fine with Z now, but I think Z is somewhat swept up in this trans process too of like, okay, you identify as trans, play with the name a bit. Cause a lot of trans men have very feminine sounding names. I don't. And then it's the roadmap. And some, I'm sure part, some of the roadmap, even if it wasn't on that website, some of the roadmap is around names and chosen names and nicknames and, you know. Yeah. Our host, our, my co-host, one of my, the trans masculine representation um, is Zaire and we call him Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that, because he likes it. That's what he told us. Yeah. To <laughs> yep. so, that's funny that you say that. Let's talk about your hometown. So, for anybody that don't know, um, you are from New Orleans, if you can't hear it in your voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the history of New Orleans, it, New Orleans, is, as far as race and as far as gender, is queer as fuck. Like, if you know the history, um, you know, like, it's particularly, like, around music, you had, like, Sissy Noby, you had Katie Red, you had uh, just so many people that, and, you know, nowadays it's um, Big Frida. It's, it's just, um, that's in music and race. When we talk about the history of, like, Creole and history of what white is or history of what Black looks like, um, what it looks like and what it is and how it wasn't necessarily. If, if New Orleans, Louisiana it's was so much. It's so much. Louisiana yeah. was, first it was owned by the French, then it was owned by the Spanish, mm-hmm. then it was owned um, back to the French, I think, and the then, then back then to the U.S. in the Louisiana Purchase. And so mm-hmm. it, it, within this, um, within these political changes happening, um, there was a lot of cultural stuff that was happening. So instead of it being like a two-cast system, like in other parts mm-hmm. of the United States, it was almost like a three-cast. Three three-cast. Mm-hmm. A three-cast system. So it just looked, everything just looked fucking different in New yep. in regards to race and in regards to gender. It's a queer ad. It always mm-hmm. had a level of acceptance for queer folks. It just really did. That In culture, they were always yep. present or either mm-hmm. as um, entertainment or as um, just, uh, just in community. And so... Mm-hmm. Describe that for me. Describe even my um, people be looking at my high school yearbook before Katrina. I, I I don't I don't think I have my my mama might have them, but people would think that some of my friends who was black was white. Some of the girls from high school, and it is three. And another dynamic is we have the most Vietnamese people outside of Vietnam in New Orleans, so you could roll up to a fast food place think you talking to a black girl at the mcdonald's and you get up to the window and she is vietnamese and she sounds just like me and that's another level of ethnicity on top of race um and when i say new orleans is queer as fuck i do not flatten that to mean whose body parts are touching whose body parts sexuality no it's more than that i mean just even the straight cis people have queer politics in a way that, and when we say Frida, Frida and Katie Red, Frida been out. Frida just maybe hit mainstream more so, right. but 
it's in the music. It's in the fact that in New Orleans, the term sissy is not a pejorative because a lot of the rappers, Sissy Noby, Sissy Shannon, all of these people have, they known as sissies and they call each other sissy. And if they don't have sissy in the front of their name, it's still a cultural, it's just so normal. Right. It's just so normal. I mean, parts of Mardi Gras is queer as fuck. And that's a mainstream event. Um, even the straight dudes at home, you don't hear too many negative happenings around cis black men harming people because they're trans in New Orleans. And I think some of that is because it's just baked in. It's just normalized. Yeah, you'll have a random incident like um, China. I remember China Gibson passed away in New Orleans. She got murdered in New Orleans. But we don't really know the details of that. But I just, it just seemed, the men in New Orleans seemed a little, um, they just like, in my younger years, I would call it, they just hip on shit. Like, they just Mm -hmm. on it. Like, when I go to New Orleans, you barely had to tell tell a motherfucker your tea. (laughs) (laughs) Or when you tell them, like, they, oh, they all, it ain't no, I ain't got to break it all down. It ain't like Mm -hmm. if I'm in Mississippi, where I got to really break it down. But in New Orleans, it seems like, oh, I know what's up with that. Like, it, it's almost like it's a part. They have cultural references. They yeah. have, um, it's just different. It just feels how they approach it is very different and a little bit more accepting. It is. And I, and I think that's what I'm like. It's like when something is baked into from when you was young, it's, it's kind of like, okay, why are you telling me that? Mm-hmm. It's cool. And it was, yes, it's high crime and all of that, but it's not, it's not an everyday thing of navigating gender or sexuality quite in the same way as other places, even shit, 45 minutes, Baton Rouge or Lafayette or, you know. Right. And it was something else um, I think you've talked about before. And it, it, you, one of the things why I connect with you so much is because um, we, you say things and, I, and sometimes I, I have tried to articulate them and you just have a, in this particular context, you just had a better, like, sharp analysis of it. I think queerness in the South, it's, it's, it's a unique level of, even how Southern people deal with queerness because of respectability politics of the South, how they deal with queerness, although because it's the Bible Belt, it still is a level of decorum that happens. It's a level of, even if it's- Well, New Orleans is Southern, but there's a difference. It's like a sweet, sweet queerness. Yeah. Like yeah, because it's not New New Orleans. You could pull New Orleans out, or just even aesthetically, New Orleans don't look like the South. No, it looks like a hodgepodge of like the Caribbean plus maybe Central America plus France. Like yeah, 
that's why when you say we we went from France to Spain to France to being owned by like it you don't did. even look like it don't uh, the buildings the architecture the ways of being don't even look like traditional southern ways yeah and i think yeah. that it, it, if i was uh, the analogy i kind of use there's uh, and not just and this is in the south in general for me but um the the queerness in the south how they handle it it's almost like queerness is like sweet tea and up north mm -hmm. is queerness is like coca-cola it's a harshness it's a harshness to queerness and how it's responded to in the north as opposed to the south and that's a nuance that people who don't live in the south would not understand they don't understand yeah because even even but do you think it's because that's where trading happened and there was not this sharp hatred that that sharp hatred of queerness it wasn't pushed all the way out of our cultures maybe that's part of what it is it's that it still resides still part of that affirmation of straddling the physical and the spiritual world might still reside baked into the culture of the south mm -hmm. that the north don't the north gets inappropriately bucked up in my opinion it is assumed that the north is this liberatory place when it's not necessarily it just shows up covertly right in the north. right definitely and i think we need to honor the spirituality of the south and that black spirituality may actually affirm queerness more than we give credit for it way more way more and 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 if you're not thinking about particularly in new orleans if you're not thinking about the christian in the white baptist Correct. that kind of form we're talking about black spirituality black. Some, yes that got some um witchy spiritual shit that's going on particularly in new orleans but this is throughout the south black folks always had they always queer christianity it, they always it was a little bit different than um you know than what the white folks gave it was just a little bit it was more connected to the earth it was more connected even wow. us bringing when we when we're doing marriages and bringing the broom in for people to jump on mm -hmm. that was some witchy ass shit that was connected <laughs> that was connected to christianity so because of that queering it also gave room for some other things to kind of creep in correct well when you blacken a thing you queer a thing boom. inherent boom inherently <laughs> and so when we say new orleans have the most black catholics in the country concentrated to the point where i did not realize how white catholicism was catholicism is black to me because i'm from new orleans which has the most black catholics of anywhere of anywhere <laughs> in the u.s I mean, we might be able to talk about places like Brazil or, you know, bl black countries. But when we talk about the U.S., I thought Catholicism was a black religion, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people was like, girl, what? Catholicism is white. I was like, oh, because my understanding of Catholicism is through blackness. Right. And when we that's why I'd be like, wait, are you talking about like Charles Stanley, Jimmy Swagger? Or are you talking about like. 
Paul S. Morton, Creflo Dollar. Like, who? Are you talking about black Christianity, white Christianity? Because which, what we talk about? Because again, when something is black, it is queer by default. By default. And folks don't be wanting to accept it, but that's what the fuck that's it is. Fucking what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Oh. Mm. That's how I began to learn more about um, Lilith. I thought that damn Eve was Adam's first wife, child. Didn't know about black no. elder. Put <laughs> you all in. Girl, sit down. Let me talk to you about Lilith, honey. But I think that if you want to control the people, I guess you gotta you gotta remove the, that stuff, that that fact. But New but New Orleans is queer. Blackness is queer. Um, all of that robustness that people love about blackness is the queering of your experience. Like that, the grandiosity, the big, the fun, the vibrant, the talent. Like you can't extract all that from blackness and be left. You have taken the queerness out of it. The fact that y'all love that damn choir at church. And you know damn good and well that nine times out of ten, it is because the director, the organist, or some musician is gay. <laughs> and that is not to denigrate homosexuality. It's just to elevate a fact that what you love about the beauty of music, of blackness, is the queering of it. Whitney Houston took Dolly Parton's song, and now people don't even damn know that Dolly Parton's saying, I will always love you first. Because, uh, Maybe not queer identified woman, but we know there was a queering inside of Whitney. That, that's why y'all love that. It's no, it's, it's, it's no, it's no coincidence that the female voice of our nation, the voice, and the male voice of our nation, Luther Vandross, <laughs> it is no coincidence <laughs> they not, that they queer as fuck. <laughs> to the point where when somebody is super gifted and they black, I'm automatically like, I wonder where the queer element is. <laughs> right, where that at? <laughs> I know you introduced me to your wife last week, but I'm like, something. Something's yep. up. No, it's no coincidence, like you said, that those two voices are from queer bodies. Yeah, not at all. You were part of a um, burlesque troupe, right? Oh, girl. (laughs) Let's shake it up a little bit. (laughs) So in your your heyday, you were part of a burlesque troupe. That's Atlanta. Ah, in Atlanta, yo, that town called Moxie, the queer cabaret of Caliber. Caliber. <laughs> of Caliber, darling. <laughs> um, you were a gent, and um, your performance was, was Quentin. Mm-hmm. Um, You've been doing your research. Yeah, you know, you know I, like, I like the folks to know what, what's going on. <laughs> and, um, I want you to talk about, you know, that experience, but also how that experience like um, dismantles some of your bi- your biases around body 
you're biased around how what you were attracted to, what you weren't attracted to, those kind of things. Yeah. So uh, Moxie was unapologetically body positive. Um, I literally have seen people get escorted right on out for, for fucked up ideas, statements that came out their mouth. Um, so I, so Heather is the founder of Moxie and I met Heather Provencia because they used to be my manager at um, Flying Biscuit, which is a restaurant in Atlanta. And I used to be the host at Flying Biscuit and Heather was first the manager, I think became the GM, I think. One of the GMs. So, and one day was just like, we don't have this, we don't have a performance art space. And Heather created Moxie. And we had the ladies of Moxie and the gents of Moxie. And we had one person, I think, maybe, no, one, just one that I can remember, who was both a lady and a gent. Marla was a lady and a gent. Um, and did that shit masterfully. But I think Moxie gave me language for like physical attraction versus sexual attraction. Like I could be physically attracted to these bodies, but didn't mean that I wanted to like have sex with bodies. Um, that boobs didn't mean woman, that vagina didn't mean woman, that penis didn't mean man. Um, it helped detach and replace concepts and shift them around because I probably entered Moxie very like there's one side and then there's the other side and they stay on their sides. Man is male is penis. And I probably entered into Moxie with that ideology. Um, it made me reckon with race because Moxie was all the races, all the ethnicities. Um, it made us as a group reckon with race. And I don't know if we was doing it like, you know, I think that the big culture can guide you. So I don't know if we were doing it for as much as we were doing it for Moxie, but I don't, you know, it wasn't like the U.S. is talking about race right now in that way. So right. that was different. I wonder what Moxie would be now if, you know, how we would talk about it. Um, it made me reckon with respectability around like what I term cleanliness, what assigning value to, to bodies and smells and things that I probably was very snooty about before, especially as a Southerner, where it's like, bodies don't smell. You do all of this to keep the body from smelling. And in some ways, my, people were much freer around respectability and like, whatever the word is. Mm. Um, and it helped me feel more comfortable with less clothes on in public than I probably used to be, even for myself to come out of clothes. And I didn't, I wasn't nowhere near like uh, the ladies, you know, they would do full like pasties and shit. I wasn't on that level, but I began to feel more comfortable with people gazing at my body. And I think because they weren't necessarily gazing with that gross look that you get like street harassment kind of look, it was, you can look at a body and appreciate it and not be gawking at it. Mm -hmm. which yeah. was way different than any for me when people looked at these hips and ass it was it made me feel very gross 
versus an appreciation for the curvature or the hips or the ass or to love cellulite and it's not gross and it's you're not getting these messages that you've been getting saggy breasts aren't bad you know and that's what it as a hmm, i'm trying to think of where i got my i think i guess what you're describing for me is where what how escorting when I was an escort, how that changed my perception of my body, perception of mm-hmm. who uh, being naked in front of people, mm-hmm. just my 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 thought process about my body, totally yep. changed when I started to have give other people access to my body just to survive. And that in that in that sense, mm-hmm. at first I thought that it was going to be. Um, you know, I just thought it was going to be business, da 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 da. But it really did take me out of a caterpillar stage of like now I could cut the lights on and be dancing and twerking and da 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 in front of a dude with no problem. Previous wow. to this, I, I would be, I would be fearful. Not not fearful isn't the right right word. I I did, because I didn't have the body that I wanted, particularly um, at that time. I didn't have everything that I wanted. I didn't have all the work. I had titties, but I, I didn't. It. I didn't have the voluptuousness that I associated with a woman, and yeah. so because I didn't have those things, I wanted the lights to be off. I wanted the. Um, I wanted to. Um, you know, I didn't want to be just looked at. I, yeah. I wanted to just be felt. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to do things to you. Da da da. But what forced me into accepting my body as is at that time and as I went on, is when you're in a business where somebody's paying you to give them a service, honey, they want the lights on. They want to see every yeah. crevice. They want to see every crack. Yeah. They want to rub every um, curve. They, they, want, they are appreciating you and they want to get their money's worth of appreciating it. And so in that process, although it, it may be objectifying and you're putting yourself on display, it also is liberatory. It, it's very liberating for me because it was like, if this motherfucker is paying this amount of money and I can sit in this light and he is like, oh my God, you're so beautiful, you're so soft, you so do whatever, then why can't I feel that? Like, why can't I, yeah, why like, can't I feel that? Why can't I expect that? Why can't I, you know, so that, I, I, I guess I can relate in that way. I've never been like on a stage in a group of people. That's That would be kind of intimidating for me as a, um, if I was in Moxie, just in, on stage. But you would be on stage by yourself, maybe. I or you would. mean in front of people? Hmm. I don't know. Because you could, in front of you, could perf- you could do performances with other people in Moxie, or you could have a solo act on a stage. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I could do it with a bunch of people watching. Like, one is different, but a group of people, I, I guess I could if I just put my mind to it, but that would be super, super intimidating for me. I mean, it's like, the, it's like candy. Famous people, they have an easier time singing in front of groups or one per- like they it's the difference like and it's true i think i'm opposite i probably could just it's like shit fuck it it's all y'all in here <laughs> but if if you be like one person and that person is like a more intimate person like an escort oh for the whole stage i'd be like okay <laughs> uh, do you remember do you remember like your evolution of being more comfortable? Like were you body wise? 
Yeah, like at, the more you escorted, more you got more comfortable. Do you remember like when you first started? Was it like, oh my God? So when I first started, it was more about the client. Like not, a, not about pleasing them. Well, of course, that's the, the common comment. But I'm talking about, I was more thinking about, ooh, who is about to come through the door? Like what type of dude? Oh, I was yeah. think I was more focused, not necessarily on me and what I had to offer, because clearly he liked what I had to offer because he saw all my pictures, my pictures is real, blah, blah, blah. So I was thinking of like, ooh, how disgusting is this client going to be? Gotcha. <laughs> like how far does this go? But luckily yeah. for me, my very first client was the most disgusting client that I've ever seen. Also, oh, so it just was uphill. Yeah. So it was uphill from there. So the I mean, anything that you can think is wrong with a fucking trick, it was <laughs> anything you can imagine. It was wrong right. with him, and it was the, it, right. it was wrong with him. White, big, had a stench, had a he has like some mold skin tags on him. Like I mean, anything you can imagine that was wrong, it was that wrong. happened. Yeah, and so. I said, oh, but it was the easiest money I had ever made. It was like, probably like eight minutes for like $250. <laughs> right? So I was like, oh, well, if it's like this, it can't get, I can deal with it. Like it, it yeah. can't get, but as I went on with escorting, you get, you learn that there's a wide range of men who's willing to pay you. And so you get from the fine, 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 fine to the, Whack or plain jam or whatever. And so in the beginning, I thought of it like that. But in the, but as far as my physical self, this is where I was in my personal life, I was approved. So I grew up like you, I'm from the, um, in with Southern respectability rules. Yeah. Yeah. So in my personal life, even though I was a whole and doing prostitution, my personal life and how I engage with men in my personal life, I yeah. wanted to seem like a respectable woman. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. wasn't out here doing all kinds of stuff with niggas for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was yeah. trying to I was trying to give this image. So I wasn't really um exposed exposed in the same my physical body. Like for example, I lost my virginity when I was 16. Mm -hmm. Didn't have sex again until I was, I think, 18. And then didn't have a sex again until I was 23. Wow. So, and 23 is when I had, when I started escorting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was these, it was these, it was these, I wasn't as experienced as people would assume that I was. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when I started escorting, it was more about, um, when I started to think about my own body, that's where they got to enjoy, I got, they got to see clients more so than normal dudes that I would date. Clients got to see my physical evolution and appreciate it when it was happening, as opposed mm -hmm. to dudes who- Because you had all these years of gaps and fuck. Yes, yeah. because dudes would meet me and be like, um, uh, clients would see me, they done met me uh, in January, I got some titties in March. They got a little <laughs> bit bigger in uh, June, and they still so they're getting to appreciate my growth. Whereas a dude yeah. who I was dating, he the my, the dude I was dating for five years, I had already got all the stuff when yeah. I met him. Yeah. So he yeah. he automatically just saw what I was. But clients were able to appreciate them and 
praise me for them in the moment of me getting them. So yes. all the validation that I needed for my womanhood, I was literally getting from clients, not niggas. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, you know what's funny is, so I'm a little opposite. I probably had sex for the first time at 14. Easy. And I feel like I got more, because I, I, I told you I had a breast reduction in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I used to be a 36G. <laughs> and uh, got reduced to, I think, a 36C. Okay, so I have big boobs, small waist, big ass, and hips. And I feel like, like most people got uh, attention for my physical body when I dress more like a girl. And even somewhat... I guess maybe in like tomboy phase or I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to articulate that the physical desire seems to have waned in my trans masculine identity as compared to when I was a girl or a stud or whatever. And I definitely know that back in my teenage years, I probably got more attention, whether that is on the street or in the bed, around spending time with my body in a way that multiple things are happening. So the masculine person is the aggressor. And so that's part of what I mean when I say I don't know how to be a man. Like, I don't, I'm not play a play and try to holler at people. I don't have the, like, I don't have the ability to even do that thing um and i i'm not gonna say my physical evolution i, I don't like there's no person who who i've was having sex with long enough across years that could have seen me go from girl to like today but me and my trans masculine or non-binary friends talk about this often the macro level uh, desire that you are given on who you should desire on a, on a cultural level trickles down to how people engage with you as an individual. And I don't think that I am desired as much in this body the way I adorn this body in the same way that I was as a girl slash woman person feminine more i don't think that i because i don't bind i don't i'm not rigid masculine walking and presenting i'm not the most buff person and so i'm somewhere like fluctuating in between this hip ass possessor and i never quite hit that hyper masculine body that I think is desired even on trans people like I think trans men who are like they love the JC Yons of the world that buff fit even if we know JC Yon is a trans man there still is like you still must have an aesthetic of a man that they and align so with that mask that man aesthetic in a way that makes it still appealing 
Yeah, and I don't think that people who are non-binary identified but still have or tapped into their divine femininity, I don't think our bodies are desired in the same or with as much frequency and vigor. I don't be, people is not like, me and my friends talk about this. If we a little pudgy or if we don't bind or if we're like fucking with the gender thing, it's like, y'all ain't studs. Y'all ain't trans men and y'all not really ripped. It is a, it's an awkward, interesting place to feel like you lost capital by shifting to masculinity. Yeah. Because you're not consuming masculinity all the way. But you don't have the girl capital no more because you're not the feminine capital no more because you're not adorning your body in a feminine way. So it's, it's kind of, it's just very interesting. But I think that's even, I can see that in um, how folks fetishize studs too. Because the mm-hmm. ones that they really, really fetishize studs, they present in a, their physicality is more in that masculine realm. Even yes. if like, they're not on moans and buff or whatever. Even the yeah. studs that I see people going up for, it's not like the more feminine um, mm-hmm. studs. It's the ones that, you know, kind of maybe a little bit broad up here, ain't got too much hip. They might like got the a young little bit yeah, I, I see that. I see that. I I never had somebody um contextualize it or people you know. love young MA. I think young MA I, I love young MA too. I mean, I think she's cool, but people love the lean weights, they love the slim, tall, but young MA is, is my height, but she's still and young MA embodies and performs masculinity in a way that is sometimes toxic but is very like binary. Like I, I would consider her, I don't even, and this is why I hate speaking English. And then you have like the lean away to her taller. And I also say if I was about five, six, five, seven, I think that I would be more. But that's still you know, leaning towards the masculine. Yeah, because masculinity and height have a direct relationship. Direct relationship. Um, and there is not as much people people drape me in affirmation around my brain i am filled to the tip top of desire for intellect that is not equal with being draped in desire physically Mm. or my lover spending time with my physical body People often be like, well, I was attracted to you first based on your conversation or based on your intelligence. I'm not the person that walks into a room and people are like, who the fuck is that? I'm the person that you wind up falling for by the end of the night because you spent time talking to me at a fucking club. But I am not that girl who turns heads as soon as they walk in. That's not me. I'm not that person. That's young MA. That's, that surprises me, though. That surprises me. Because I think you're attractive, and I think you dress in a, an, an attractive... Um, I think how you present it, it makes it attractive. So that's why it's surprising to me. 
that you say that that is not your experience? Because you seem to present it in a way that I would feel like people would gush over. But I also don't, I have a hard time uh, maintaining the gaze with the woman because I don't want it to come across like cruddy man. You know, I don't want, I don't want to feed into and make women feel grossed out. <laughs> like I don't need that in my life. Nobody um, wants that. <laughs> and because I know, I know both what that feels like. And I have a lot of friends who still exist in that world with the street harassment and the dudes don't give a fuck. I need 0.2% of the confidence of these cis dudes, not no, no, even no, no, a full. No, 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 no. Don't explain that. I want you to, what I think what I'm, what I'm saying is you have style. You have a style. You have style. You have a good style. So how you present your whatever you just described, it seemed like that because you presented that way with style and it still has this, this stud trans masculine quality, I would feel like people would gush over that. I can't I No, can't but I also, have, I also have ass and thighs and all that too and like you just described they like the broad that gets slender okay even if it's stylish even if it's less stylish i don't know i don't know mm. i don't know if the world is and that's why i got on roland martin and said i don't think spelman college is ready for trans folk because i don't know if the world is ready for all that comes with not abiding by rigid sides. I don't, and I especially don't know if blackness is ready for that. As much as we say the, the U.S. South in particular has a, a validating way with queerness, and it does, I still don't know if institutions are ready to make space for the depth and breadth of what trans inclusion looks like institutionally and and that all that coexists and much like i'm saying i don't know and i deeply appreciate i find myself swaggy too but i don't know if that trans i don't know it just i have these i have these conversations all the time with my friends i don't know if that translates to like desire for mm. physical body mm. race always race in in america is really like oh my god this glaring thing but what people don't know well not they they know it but what i think people don't realize is gender is the motherfucking og oppressor race is quite <laughs> new and fake and blah 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 gender is the motherfucking og so when we talk about dismantling and disrupting and queering shit, I feel like sexuality, gender, um, gender, I, sexuality, I think is a little bit more of motherfuckers is kind of wrapping their minds around it, but accepting queerness in the gender shit, I feel like it's really, really difficult. I think that's gonna be <laughs> more difficult than race, than sexuality. I think queering, the gender shit is just something yeah. folks. I don't want to say they're not ready for it because shit, they always not ready for something when we're trying to make shit better for people. But it's something about the gender thing that is just so deep 
Like I said, it's yep. the OG. And so, mm-hmm. like I was watching this documentary. I'm not going to get into details of that, but it's called The Ascend of Women. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they go all the way back to, I mean, like, before the Bible, gender oppression. <laughs> like, I mean, like, back, back, back. And yeah. so, um, and when I think about that, I was, I was like, damn, like, so female oppression has been around. It's like the fucking, oh, 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 oh. Yes. And yeah. so I think, I don't think, it's not that I don't think they're ready. I think it's just going to be a, a, a big, a longer fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it is deeply rooted. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, I think if I dated white girls, I would have 10 girlfriends. But I don't. I think we all have that kind of, I think, I I think everybody has that kind of, um, that, I don't want to, I don't know, no, no, no. I know I had that experience. I feel like if I wanted to date white men, that I would be booed up and married or something. But because I don't, because they stay in my inbox, hit me up. But because I don't, I don't even like pink penises. I don't even like, I don't just, I like color. I like melanin. I like, I like people darker than me. I barely like light-skinned dudes. So it's just, it's just something about them. And then I don't want to, Janicia from um, 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 Tea with Queen and Jay podcast, she's like, I don't want no white man in my house drinking my juice. (laughs) 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 Which I love. That makes sense. I like just a white man in my house and I got to navigate yeah, you don't. being in my house, no, no, thank you, no, thank you. I dated a white person for two years back in my early twenties, and that was that was it. Oh God. So I got one more question for you. Why is Hebrew eleven one your favorite scripture? Um. Okay. First of all, it defines faith pretty succinctly, but it's oxymoronic. So the first, the beginning is faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when I think about that, I'm like, how do you have substance of something you only hope for? How do you have evidence of something you have not seen? Yo, that's next level. The shit just blows my mind. If I have this chapstick, this is substance. It's in my hand. I'm not hoping for this. I have evidence of the fact that I have this chapstick. I've seen it. It's not unseen. So you telling me that it's like a chat. And I, I had somebody else the other day laughing. I was like, I challenge God. I'd be like, so you said, so show up. <laughs> But faith is opposite. Faith is like literally believing, like um, you follow the Jackson Family Values Instagram page. It's a family of um, the mom and the dad. They met at Cheney. I think they went to Cheney um, for college. They're like 33. And they have three kids. Tyreek June, the mom is... Rochelle, I think her name is. The dad is Tyreek. Verlanda, Verlanda and Tyreek Sr. And then they have Tyreek Jr., Ava, and Judah. And Judah, like 50 days ago, 
almost drowned and the doctor said he have a 20% chance of living. Bruh, I have never seen immediate faith ever. It's partially why I'm like, I can't be a parent because the sheer, what it takes to be a parent. Next level. <laughs> as soon as they said it, the mom was like, no, he was at St. Christopher's first, the, hospital, the children's hospital. They said he has a 20% chance of ever thinking, seeing, or walking again. And the mom immediately, when she finally could tell the story, at that point, she had ordered that he move, be moved from St. Christopher's to, Ch to CHOP, which is Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania. She immediately said, he is the 80%. And the doctors was like, ma'am, I don't think you understand. Pull the plug. This kid is brain dead. He was underwater for seven minutes. There's no way. Diamond. Day before yesterday, Judah got moved out of the PICU into the rehab. He breathing on his own. They're trying to teach him to track and focus again. Faith is when a physician tells you your child who is four years old, who was underwater seven to 10 minutes, has a 20% chance, and you immediately say he's the 80%. The doctor. Period. Like that is talking about substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Yeah. Faith is one of these things that is like, you know how they be like, oh, Tamia is an underrated artist. Or, oh, all of these people that we love, that's the, who is the most underrated artist? Faith is one of the most underrated characteristics that gets you so very far. I don't know. I mean, he, I'm not even try because he's not my child. I don't have no children. But if you had told me 20 percent, it's also saying, yes, science is great. But who I serve is the author and finisher of all of this shit. Hebrews 11, one lays out faith so clearly and so succinctly. And I just think faith is an overlooked attribute. It is just overlooked and undervalued. It's the power of, if you take it out of Christianity and you're talking about, if you're talking about actually putting your faith in the work, the spiritual work that you do, that you believe you are manifesting that this is going to happen. This is what's going to get, this is what I'm owed or what I, what I'm, I'm going to be blessed with. This is what I'm going to be manifesting. This is what I'm going to um, call into my life. It is what I'm going to get. It's yep. not oh my God, I wish I get this. I don't know if I deserve this. It is, this is mine already. I just got to wait for the gun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to figure out, it's Ephesians, which is my second favorite. I always, okay. Ephesians 3.20. Okay. What's that? Now unto him who is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think. This is God, and I'm, this is not Christianity God. This is God saying, can you imagine somebody telling you, I can give you above all you can ask or think? I mean, you can't even think about how bomb and fire your life going to be. That's all. Not above all you can ask, because to ask means you've thought about it. You can fathom it. But above all you can ask or think? Yeah. That's that's the type. That's what I'm talking about. I need those type of blessings. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, 
I really appreciate you spending time with me. I really, like I said in the beginning, I think you are one of the most brilliant people that I know. You make Thank me you. think, you make me, um, you know, even even if I thought about it, and even if we think about things in the same way, I remember you recently, you told a story about your great grandmother, Dorothy, which I had, I was, I was, your great grandma, your grandma. And um, like, I literally, one of my, I had lived what you typed out, I was going to read it just to honor her, but we done talked into, into so much. <laughs> but yes. um, just thinking about certain things that I, even I, I've already thought about, but just how you articulate it and how you say it and other things you bring into, into the fold. That just, I just love seeing the status update and just what you think about things. So I love it, love it, love it, love it. And I wanted to share you with the people and tell them where they can find you. Um, Instagram at Ignite Intellectual. Uh, what is that? Twitter at Ignite Intellectual. Facebook at Ignite Intellectual. All the places at Ignite Intellectual. <laughs> and I'm going to put them links in the bottom. And yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I have fun. Yes, I did too. Thank you so much. All right, darling. Bye. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We'll be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be all right. Don't you worry about a thing. Baby, it's going to be all right.